Welcome y'all to In the Ponds. A monthly podcast covering the mysterious, weird, and sometimes unbelievable stories that happen in the place where people love to find solace, the great outdoors. I'm Nikki, and a few hundred miles away from me is... Pox Holiday. So, for our listeners, if you recognize Pox's voice and not mine, hello! I actually had a podcast called The Appalachian Crime Trail that I co-hosted with a friend of mine. And Pox, what about you, sir? I co-host the Pox and Puss podcast. It's uh, a podcast about the Appalachian Trail, uh, people who through hike. We interview hikers, adventurers of all types. And I've been doing that since uh, October 2012, so coming up on 10 years. Not consistently, <laughs> but we've been doing it since 2012. <laughs> true story. True, true. Um, and my podcast, which you might have garnered from the name of it, was a true crime po- comedy podcast. Um, and we covered true crime stories that were related to Appalachia in general. So do we want to talk a little bit about how this even got started with us? Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'd like, uh, we don't know each other, really. We don't know each other in real no. life. Um, no. And uh, don't live anywhere near each other. Um, no. <laughs> I know I know Nikki because she was a listener of the Pox and Puss podcast. And uh, mm-hmm. one time uh, I was doing a Twitter spaces and she was the only person who came into the room. So we had a conversation uh, while I was driving um, on Bluetooth. And um, yes. so, yeah. And then through that, um, I asked to be on your Halloween episode of your podcast. Yes. But due to scheduling conflicts, we weren't able to do that. And so just kind of one way or another, we started talking and, and realized we like these weird stories. And yeah, uh, yeah so that's what we're and doing. It's just, yeah. But the thing is, we are not going to limit ourselves to Appalachia. We no. promise that. Because there is plenty of craziness that happens in the outdoors across this country and even the world. Yeah. Um, and there's one thing that I mentioned to you, which we're not going to bring up now because we're going to cover it at some mm-hmm. point. Um, about a phenomenon that happens down your way and you had looked into it and what did you find that it like, I found it was just all over the country. I thought it was like, Oh, it's special to this one region of North Carolina. And then actually, uh, I remembered like a guy I knew, knew of another of this type of phenomenon that actually happens only a few miles from my house. So I haven't gone to go see it yet, but hopefully I'll be able to go see it soon, but found out it's all over the country and all over the world. So We'll, we'll get into that at some point in time. All right, Pox, so you ready to get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, sir? Sure. You want to tell us about the region where our story takes place today? Absolutely. All right. So, the Great Smoky Mountains. So, the name Smoky comes from the natural fog that often hangs over the range and looks like large plumes of smoke from a distance. And this fog is caused by vegetation emitting organic compounds. And the Great Smoky Mountains are among the oldest mountains on Earth and are located along the Tennessee-North Carolina border in the southeastern United States. They are a subrange of the Appalachian Mountains and form part of the Blue Ridge Physiographic Province. The Great Smoky Mountains is home to an estimated 187,000 acres of old-growth forest. And this constitutes the largest such stand east of the Mississippi River. The Great Smoky Mountains is also home to the densest black bear population in the eastern U.S. and the most diverse salamander population outside of the tropics. The most notable peak of the Smokies is Clingman's Dome, which stands at 
an elevation of 6,643 feet, and it's the highest point in the Smokies, third highest in the Appalachian Mountain Range. A little bit of history on the Great Smoky Mountains. Native Americans have likely been in the Great Smoky Mountains for at least 14,000 years, and by the time English explorers first arrived in southern Appalachia in the late 17th century, the Cherokee controlled much of the region, and the Great Smoky Mountains lay at the center of their territory. Most Cherokee settlements were located in the river valleys on the outer fringe of the Great Smokies Range, and European explorers and settlers began arriving in western North Carolina and east Tennessee in the mid-18th century. The influx of settlers at the end of the French and Indian War brought conflict with the Cherokee. When the Cherokee aligned themselves with the British at the outbreak of the American Revolution in 1776, American forces launched an invasion of the Cherokee territory. By 1805, the Cherokee had ceded control of the Great Smokies to the U.S. government. Although much of the tribe was forced west along the Trail of Tears in 1838, a few, largely with the efforts of William Holland Thomas, managed to retain their land on the Kuala boundary and today compromise the eastern band of the Cherokee. Tennessee and North Carolina joined the Confederacy at the start of the American Civil War, and Union sentiment in the Great Smoky Mountains was much stronger relative to other regions in these two states. Generally, the communities on the Tennessee side of the Smokies supported the Union, while communities on the North Carolina side supported the Confederates. Now, we move on to Great Smoky Mountain National Park, which was not easy for it to become a national park. Unlike out west, such as with Yellowstone National Park, getting land in this area was a different story completely. The area was owned by hundreds of small farmers and a handful of large timber and paper companies, and the farmers did not want to leave their family homesteads, and the large corporations didn't want to abandon huge forests of timber, many miles of railroad tracks, extensive systems of logging equipment, and whole villages of employee housing. The drive to create a national park, though, became successful in the mid-1920s. And in May of 1926, a bill was signed by President Calvin Coolidge that provided for the establishment of Great Smoky Mountains National Park and Shenandoah National Park in Virginia. This allowed the Department of the Interior to assume responsibility for administration and protection of a park in the Smokies as soon as 150,000 acres of land had been purchased. Buying the land was difficult, though, and around 6,000 small farms, large tracts, and other parcels had to be surveyed, appraised, and contested in court. Also, timber and paper companies had valuable equipment and standing inventory, which required compensation. Some people were allowed to stay, though, under, the lifetime, under lifetime leases, especially if they were too old or too sick to move on, while younger people that were able to stay were granted leases on a more short-term basis. By 1934, the states of Tennessee and North Carolina had transferred deeds for 300,000 acres to the federal government, causing Congress to authorize full development of public facilities. Much of the early development of facilities and restoration of historic buildings was done by the Civilian Conservation Corps. Formal dedication of Great Smoky Mountain National Park was done by President Franklin Roosevelt on September 2, 1940. And that's my history and background. I, that, that was very thorough. It was more thorough than I anticipated. Sorry. No, I'm not. No, I'm not saying a bad thing at all. No, no, no. I think all of that's very important, and and, yeah. and it all plays into everything. 
I just was thinking, uh, I <laughs> honestly, I was sitting here going like, fuck, I'm going to have to write about places I don't know about this much. <laughs> So, Pox, what is the story about today? Well, today's story is the disappearance of Dennis Martin. Do you know anything about it? I do not. Um, as I said, I have a friend that kind of mentioned that they knew about it, and I was just like, I don't want to know yet. I want to wait till I record so I can get the full effect. So, no, I don't know a thing. Okay. This one was a surprise to me as well. But, uh, okay, well, follow me on this one. Okay. On Friday, July 13th, 1973, Charles Hughes, a ranger in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, was walking along Rough Fork Creek near the end of Cataloochee Valley Road when he ran into a man with a fishing rod and a large beard. Hughes asked the man for his name and to see his fishing license. The bearded man responded, I've got no name. I've lived in these woods my whole life. The fisherman then pulled back his jacket, reaching for a pistol. During a struggle for the weapon, Ranger Hughes was able to punch the man in the face and return his return to his Park Service Jeep. As Hughes was driving away, the quote-unquote wild man threw a large rock at the vehicle, smashing a window. Hughes and a group of rangers returned to Rough Fork Creek and tracked with bloodhounds for much of the night, but they couldn't find the man who became known as the Wild Man of Cataloochee. Okay, now, flashback to Saturday, June 14, 1969. Get Back by the Beatles and Billy Preston had been dominating the Billboard charts for five weeks, and the original Star Trek had just ended its three-season run the week before. On this particular weekend, the men of the Martin family from Knoxville, Tennessee, were in the Great Smoky Mountains for their annual Father's Day camping trip. Dennis, just a few days shy of seven years old, and his older brother Douglas, who was nine, were accompanied by their father William, 33, and grandfather Clyde on and grandfather unknown age on this trip. The group had spent the previous night at the Russell Field Shelter and had traveled two and a half miles along the Appalachian Trail to Spence Field Shelter. Dennis was a quiet and energetic boy who was a fast walker, often hiking at the front of the group. The spine of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, including the Spence Field, separates the state line of North Carolina and Tennessee. The area is surrounded by steep hills, thick rhododendron, and mountain laurel. And if people aren't familiar with rhododendron, just imagine a spider's web made out of barbed wire. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the West Virginia state flower. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, yeah, I I was trying to think of a way. It's it's not quite as barbed as barbed wire, but it might as well be if you get stuck in the middle of it. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the day before when the Martin family was staying at Russell Field Shelter, which is more kind of west in the, excuse me, which is more kind of east in the park, they met another family, Dr. Carter Martin and his two sons from Alabama. The children were around the same ages, and there are several stories you'll find online that say that there was, there's confusion because some say this was a chance meeting of two families that just happened to have a common last name of Martin. And then others say that it was actually a planned family reunion um, because there were other people down in the valley that were there for a family reunion kind of thing. Anyway, so if you read the original National Park report, you'll actually see that this was a chance meeting of two families with the same somewhat common last name. And we'll have this National Park report posted on the, the website uh, just so people can read it because it's it's insane. 
Um, but it's, it's where a lot of information from this report, uh, from this story came from. But, uh, so yeah, so it just turns out it was a chance meeting of two people with the same last name. Around 4.30 PM, the adults sat and watched the children play together. The four boys decided they wanted to plan a sneak attack on their families. By all accounts, the adults could easily see the plan being concocted by the children and just decided to play along. Even though they were pretending to ignore the boys, William kept his eye on Dennis, watching his youngest son step behind a, uh, step behind a shady brush to hide. According to Dwight McCarter, an expert tracker and retired Great Smoky Mountain Ranger, the boys' plan was to split up and jump out of the woods on both sides to scare their parents. Dennis was wearing a red shirt that made him easy to see, so the three older boys sent him in the opposite direction by himself. The older boys jumped out, booed the family, and everyone had fun, but when it came time for Dennis to jump out, he never showed up. After just a few minutes, Dennis's father started to wonder where his son had gone. Dennis's grandfather, Clyde Martin, hiked six miles to Cades Cove and notified rangers at eight, uh, by 8.30 p.m. on Saturday night. Clyde then hiked back up a different trail to Spence Field to continue searching for his grandson, but found nothing along the way. As darkness started to fall on Saturday, so did more than two and a half inches of rain. The temperature dropped to 50 degrees and flooded all the streams and rivers. So this McCarter guy was actually on the search, and he wrote a book called Lost. And uh, a lot of this story comes from that, but this was actually from a different article um, but he wrote a book called Lost that had a lot to do with his search time and search and rescue. Um, but so he says, uh, the storm was so vicious, the people there at the shelter had trouble even lighting a fire. You have, uh, you have lightning and thunder and all this rain with people looking around the shelter and just imagining what, what the little boy was going through. They couldn't imagine where he could be. The next day, a search party of National Park staff, local rescue squads, the Smoky Mountain Hiking Club, and other various volunteers was collected to conduct a heavy search for Dennis Martin beginning at 5 a.m. Also, according to McCarter, the policy of search and rescue in those days was the same as dealing with the forest fire. Surround and drown. Any hikers or campers in that area had been questioned about what had happened the day before, one helicopter is bringing in supplies at an impromptu base camp at Space, Spence Field. Um, Spence Field, throughout this story, uh, it's 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 at the I, I, it's part of the Appalachian Trail, oh, okay. and there's um, there's a like a rock and wooden shelter there. There's a I remember there being a uh, there was like a spring or a stream downhill from back behind it, but it was like a really small shelter, a really small uh-huh. field when they call it Spence field. Uh-huh. Um, when you see pictures of it in these reports and of these other stories, um, there's a lot of stories that come out of um, Asheville from this. And you can see that this used to be like a much more wide open area uh-huh. than it okay. is now. Um, yeah. They're just like, you know, you think about it, this is, you know, 50 something years of growth since yeah, then. True. So okay. anyway, um, so yeah, so this, this used to be a lot more wide open area. So they were, it was easier for them to land a helicopter there. So anyway, so they got, so they got a helicopter somehow um, <laughs> to search for this child. So along with this group of official search party of national parks and rescue squads and all this other stuff, there was a group of 40 uh, boy scouts who were camped out. I think they might've been over at the uh, rich field or whatever, whatever, whatever the other shelter was. There's another group, a group of 40 boy scouts. So they come in 
And the same way that Boy Scouts like sweep an area to make sure it's clean after they leave, they start doing that looking for this child. Uh Um, And but what they basically succeeded in doing was covering the area with tiny children sized footprints because you know <laughs> yeah God bless them. i mean they, you know they didn't think they were doing anything wrong you know but they, yeah. like you know as this ranger said he was like the rain obliterated everything and pretty much pretty much washed away all clues and scent any kind of broken branches that yeah. might have been broken by this child were like destroyed and then add in all these other people so again that was just day 1 um oh god so somewhere in there, all I could think of just now was so some adults helping in that search, and they're just looking around, going, "There's a footprint. There's there. Oh, it's the damn Boy Scouts, <laughs> right?" And, and, and that there's like a like there's so many stories on this, and and I, I just want to stress to people that like I I didn't watch any kind of conspiracy videos about yeah. this. I didn't watch any videos, and I didn't listen to any podcasts. Uh, I don't listen to anything that has anything to do with what I'm going to do just because I don't want it to be confused that I'm trying yeah. to steal something or something like that. But um, so I, I didn't watch any of those kind of things, but so I tried to stick with like as much reputable stuff as possible. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like it just, uh, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it just, it was just, uh, there's just so many stories about things that could happen. And one of them was, it doesn't come out till later that one guy was like, oh, well, I did find this child's shoe and sock. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then they're like, well, what was it like? And he can't remember what it looked like. Oh, gosh. You know, and, and you're just like, well, and it was like behind the shelter some way. And so it was like, wait, what? That you didn't, you didn't come up with that. You didn't bring that back over. Like, oh, I didn't think it was important. Like, what? You're you're searching for a child. But uh, I mean, anyways, I didn't think it's important to find you know a child's shoe in the search for a child. But whatevs. So yeah, golly. So at the end of that day, there were. 240 searchers total had helped on day one. Um, So, you know, the child, so Dennis had disappeared on Saturday Uh afternoon. People were notified by 8.30 or part, the park was notified by 8.30 by the grandfather. And by 5 a.m. they had all these people, like had 200 people ready to go. Plus these 40 other uh, Boy Scouts and Boy Scout leaders. (laughs) Yeah. So they were up to 240 searchers on the first day. So, so there's this story that it came from WFSC TV. Okay. And this, this tells you how it was from Franklin, North Carolina. And I can tell you right now, there is no longer a television station out of Franklin, <laughs> North Carolina. Um, but, uh, but so somebody in Franklin on this, on this channel, they knew of a group of special forces personnel from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which, a lot of people don't know that's like your 101st yeah. uh, Air Force, uh, uh, Airborne. Airborne. Yeah. Um, you know, so like it's a very major group of special forces. So somebody there knew that there was this group of special forces personnel from Fort Bragg on maneuvers in the Nantahala River Gorge, which is also along the Appalachian Trail for people that don't know, near this town called Robbinsville, North Carolina, which is in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so, so basically what it was, was this person from this television station reached out to the great smoky mountains and said, Hey, there's this group of people 
was like there's this group of special forces that could be a a, a, a use of manpower. And so somehow somebody, some high ranking park ranger at the Smokies was able to get in touch with Fort Bragg and they got a commitment of some people to come um, at some point in time. And so that was just like, so that was just out of nowhere. The, the one thing that keeps happening, if you, if you read this national park report about this, the search for Dennis Martin they every single day are searching the drainages in the rivers because of two and a half inches of rain falling yeah. so quickly. And just the, 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 you know, so they keep checking and checking and checking. So um, the president of the Tennessee association. So now this is on Monday, day, two days in, okay, uh, two days in of searching. So the president of the Tennessee association of, Re- of rescue squads Plan to increase their efforts in the search and were able to convince units from Middle Tennessee, East Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Georgia to help. They then established a heliport at Cades Cove inside the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Good gosh. And so on Monday, the news coverage had started to increase. And so now more and more random people are starting to show up. And now they're up to 300 people searching on this first, on day two. Oh, wow. So, then on June 17th, Tuesday, uh-huh. searchers continue checking the drainages and rivers every day. That's just, the court stipulates every day they're checking drainages and rivers. Check them drainages, <laughs> no check longer. them rivers, y'all. <laughs> yeah, that, we no longer need to say they're checking those, they're checking them every day. So... Um, at this point in time, I, I can't remember if they're up to two or four helicopters at this point, but, um, the fog just grounded the helicopters all morning. So they weren't able to do anything. Yeah. And so now once again, people are just starting to show up and are just going into the park and they weren't anticipating this. So now they have this whole group of traffic control that is like stemming the people that are like just showing up and like, we're going to go search for this kid. And so people are just showing up and there, there was one road. There was actually a road that acts that you could get to Spence field from. Uh And, but it was a dirt road back then. And so combine that with several inches of rain and they had already been running Jeeps up and down that road. Now the road is starting to get severely damaged. Yeah. And so then out of nowhere, like I said, all roads to the Great Smoky Mountains lead to Florida. So there's <laughs> somehow this group of students from Florida University, what the they now get in on the search. <laughs> they just joined the search. So now as so at the end of the day, 365 people searching for Dennis Martin. I mean, are all these people, so people are just showing up all willy nilly and they're like, hey, we gonna go hell, but... I mean, yeah. with no plan, no action, like, good gosh. They're, they're, they're not checking in, you know, they're just oh, showing Lord. up, you know? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's the sixties, man. It's the summer of love. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs> so they're showing up. <laughs> and so, um, so, so on this Wednesday, uh-huh. uh, William Martin, the father, 33, okay. uh, he says he believes, <laughs> Get that yeah, 33, <laughs> Uh, tr- trust me, I tried to find Clyde's age, oh. but, um, but, uh, so, so he makes this kind of statement to this group that he believes the most likely places for Dennis to be are on either the Anthony Creek drainage or the Eagle Creek drainage. Okay. 
And so, by the way, 40 special forces guys had showed up at some point in time in all this with a, uh, they also had like a, some type of communications van. Uh-huh. So I'm guessing they had like much better communication back and forth up and down the mountain yeah. than, than everybody else did. So basically, like, I can't remember which one was which, but like the special forces group took Anthony Creek and the rescue squad group took Eagle Creek and they just checked those. And, um, so he, he said he believed that that's what he believed. So he kind of makes it seem like, okay, yeah, well, you know, he must be gone. Uh, so then same day on this Wednesday, a U-10 fixed wing aircraft was made available with a loudspeaker installed. The plan what? was for the plan was was for someone such as William Martin, uh-huh. thirty three, to fly <laughs> over the area and call the boy's name on a loudspeaker and give simple instructions on how to make contact with some of the searchers. So as so again, uh, it's landing in Cades Cove, yeah, um, where they have a heliport set up. As it lands, I mean- the rear landing gear strikes a rock. Knocked it through the rear stabilizer, rendering the aircraft unusable. And after repairs were made, it had to return to its base. (laughs) Like, so it basically just flew to the Smokies just to get messed up. And then, yeah, that was it. Is this terrible of me to say right now? But literally, like, all that's going through my brain here in this, and granted, this was the 60s, but all all Mm -hmm. my brain is thinking is let a little white kid go missing and we pull out everybody to search. (laughs) (laughs) like literally and this is not against because yes there are so many kids that go missing of all you know races genders but let a little white kid go missing and we gonna pull out all the bells and whistles is like the only thing i can think of and if you've ever seen a picture of this kid he's he's adorable (laughs) so yeah so yes of of course um so then all of a sudden the Red Cross is now a part of it. See, and they all, become all the bells and whistles. <laughs> so they they become the contact for all food donations because now they're having to feed all these people well, yeah, that continue to show up. Yeah, they literally oh, having to feed an army. And so um so they're having to feed all these people that are up there and that are working around the clock and all that. So then a University of Tennessee professor said he and his and 15 of his senior students would be hiking up Eel Creek and their plan was to split into small groups, build large fires at night, and this way they they would create like these big fires for Dennis to be able to see and oh, hopefully okay. he would be able to you know come in and and be able to like uh, find his way with these large fires and so so they just they were just like hey we're doing this by the way and they just were like just like we're 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 doing this and then another professor did the same thing the next night this time with 35 students good gosh 22 more special forces troops arrived bringing their total to 62 and now, now we're up to four helicopters. So there was two <laughs> helicopters when they were grounded for the fog. Oh now they're up to God. four helicopters. There are 615 people searching for Dennis Martin oh on a Wednesday. my gosh. What? 615? 615 people searching for for a sick he's now he would now be almost seven years old yeah he's only a couple he was like a week away from being seven so it'd be like seven on saturday and or on a like wednesday sheesh yeah 
So then um, on Thursday the 19th, the special forces focus on an area between Forrester Ridge and, Drinkin- and Jenkins Trail Ridge because of a prediction that had been called in by a woman in Michigan. Oh, now we got the psychics. Okay. This was a dream the caller had had. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so the next day, William Martin, 33, gets his wish. <laughs> the Tennessee Highway Patrol sent a helicopter with William Martin up and a small bur- a bullhorn over the search area. Yeah. So there were several times, and I think it comes up later on. Uh-huh. But so it turns out like whenever whenever William Martin was saying like where he thought like his son could be uh-huh. whenever he was like, Oh, he's, he's probably in these two drainages. And so they checked him. It was because they were getting psychics from around the world or from around the country were calling in to this family and telling them where they thought it was. Because at this point in time, you know, they, you know, with 600 people searching for them, yeah. they're like, they're grasping at anything. And so people are just like taking advantage of it and just saying like, Oh, okay. And so then there was like starting to like become pressure from the public to be like, well, hey, these these friendly psychics are calling in and you're not responding to anything. (laughs) So it became like this like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, you know, so they're like, well, I guess we better listen to these psychics and make these people happy. So, yeah. So, um, so now it's Friday, June 20th. West Virginia Day. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, 200 members of the Tennessee National Guard show up. Oh, my. They have, <laughs> yeah, they have two mobile communication trucks and 5,000, and they bring in uh, tanker trucks with 5,000 gallons of helicopter fuel. Um, so at this point in time, I think the special forces are just showing off. Because they they wanted to land more than one helicopter in a certain area. Uh-huh. And so they had a dude rappel down with a chainsaw to cut down a tree oh just so they could God. land one of the helicopters there. <laughs> Listen, here's so I have another question. How is it they have we're looking at what, like eight hundred people now probably? So, at the at the at the end of June twentieth, Friday, June twentieth, there were seven hundred and eighty searchers. Okay, so we have seven hundred and eighty searchers, right? And we have mm-hmm. they all. I'm assuming are starting out at Spence Field. How are they not spreading out enough to where they aren't finding something? Like, are they all just searching the same two square miles, or what? Because yeah, yeah, that there, is an insane amount in of people. They, <laughs> There's some. I, I, it comes up here on one of these updates. It, it does. I, I have it down. Like what would the uh-huh. actual mileage was? Because they they uh, okay. So the the area, the the entire coverage area of the search had reached at 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 the end of this fifty six square miles. I um, still that, feel that's like where they'd, they they still feel small. <laughs> yeah, with that many people. Good gosh. And that and that that's a couple of days from now yeah. because okay so so uh, so on the night of Friday June twentieth they they basically had like a strategy meeting between all the parties involved except for the Williams family and they pretty much developed two plans the if he's found alive and if he's found dead and that's kind of when they started to become go into more like the recovery portion of search and rescue as opposed to yeah. the you know, hoping to find them somewhere. Yeah. Um, th- there's still like, 
it, it comes up in some of the readings that I had, and I, I can't specifically say, but like, why, why, like kidnapping uh-huh. or him being gone? You know, it's kind of like they just kind of immediately kind of dismissed it when they talked to the people who had been around and hadn't seen or heard anything. Yeah. So the, like they just kind of went into oh well he must be lost around here so, so there's like so there's nobody's like so it's all focused on this area I think they might have at some point in time in Tennessee set up like a roadblock kind of thing or like a but it was more just like coming in and out of the park like a day or two later they had it set up I, I don't know like that that that, that just is one thing that kind of irked me about the whole situation was like nobody ever really thought about what what about outside of here yeah but anyway. So that was 780 people at the end of the uh, Friday, June 20th. So now they're one week into it, or one he's 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 been missing for one week at this point on June 21st, which is a Saturday. So they needed another level of traffic control to deal with the all the volunteers that showed up. Yeah. And so what Rangers had to do was they had to actually screen the searchers because they couldn't just have just random people going up there that didn't have any experience. And so yeah. what they did was they gave top priority to people who were former military or, or active military, uh-huh. or if you were in some other type of experience, life-saving, like rescue squad or group yeah. or something like that. On that day as well, uh, there was something about the, the, the weather or something like that. So the helicopters are basically only able to, to be used for transportation. And they were pretty much just going from Cades Cove up to Spence Field and dropping people off and bringing people back down. Uh-huh. Um, they had two different, they had two different types of, uh, of helicopters. One that was like a transport and one that was for uh, observation. So now what's starting to happen is there's a financial strain on the Tennessee National Guard because they're yeah. just kind of footing the bill for all this and yeah. they've got you know all these different people out there and the National Park Service was now asking for two more helicopters and they also wanted the 200 National Guard personnel to remain. But all of this now had to go through the governor since it was state-supported and not yeah. federally supported. So at the end of the day on Saturday, 1,400 people were part of the search party for Dennis Martin. I'm sorry. What? 1,400? 1,400 individuals were counted Jesus. at least as part of the search party that day. That doesn't include all the University of Florida and Tennessee <laughs> groups that were out there Florida uh, people setting bonfires. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So it was the at end of the day, it was 1400 people were searching for him on that day. Like, um, wow. That's insane. Yeah. So just to kind of set, set where we are on June 22nd, Sunday, uh, that was the day the Cuyahoga River caught fire. <laughs> Sorry, what? The river itself caught fire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Cuy- You've never heard of the Cuyahoga River catching on fire in uh, Cleveland, no. Ohio? No. Yeah, yeah. The Cuyahoga River, river caught fire that day, and that was also the morning that Judy Garland was found dead of a drug overdose in oh. her home in London. Oh. Um, but uh, but yeah, so yeah, yeah. That that yeah, that's a that's one to look up the Cuyahoga River. Yeah, middle note. <laughs> So it was it was stated on that day that the original 200 National Guardsmen would be leaving, 
but they would be replaced by three units of only 150 members of the 117th Mechanized Infantry Battalion from the Tennessee National Guard. They would be delivered straight from the wherever they were stationed, uh-huh. straight to Spence Field. They weren't even going to be stopped off um, and down at the hell apart. <laughs> they were just taken straight to the place. So at this point, this is when the coverage area had reached 56 and three quarters square miles. Uh-huh. Um, at this point, helicopters had lifted around 500 searchers to Spence Field and Russell Field and Thunderhead Mountain. Oh, uh, Bone Valley and Fontana Lake. <laughs> now, nine more Special Forces members show up and they now have 71 uh, in the Smokies. So it went back down since it was a Sunday. It went back down to a thousand people. Yeah. Um, and so then Monday, June 23rd, uh, it had dropped to 427 searchers. Not much, uh, you know, the volunteers just basically dropped on that Monday. On June 24th, on Tuesday, they thought they had found them. A kid in a red shirt and green shorts was seen walking around Cade's Cove. Uh-huh. Rangers like zoomed in, and like, swooped in, <laughs> and were like, here it is. And it just, it turns out it was a kid. He was there with his parents from like Kansas or something like that. And uh-huh. like he, he didn't physically match Dennis at all. Uh-huh. But they, but he was like, basically, after the situation was explained to the parents, the parents were told the kid needs to change his clothes. <laughs> like, your child so needs just, to like, change. No. <laughs> Yeah, like for, for our minds and everything else, like you, these got to change. So now they're really starting to grasp at straws with the psychics. Oh, um, so here's, here's some of the, here's some of the psychics and, and some of the things that were happening at this point in time that they're just like, whatever. Yeah. So these were, uh, recorded by the National Park Service. These were dreams, visions, and tips. Uh, many of them said that the boy would be found close to where he disappeared. Yeah, no shit. Um, <laughs> people would call in their predictions suggest suggestions they range from predictions of he will be found 2.2 uh, he'll be found two and a quarter miles to the left of where he's last seen by his father or brother uh he fell he, he fell off of a steep place or he's uh he's hung up in the bushes from where he hung up so he didn't actually fall he's just hung up in the bushes above where he fell yeah then they were also, so then what they were getting were some of the locals who knew about holes in like, you know, like in rivers, like where it's just like, you know, just like a little hole's been dug in the corner of a river or something like that, but maybe yeah. it's covered up by brush or something like that. So these old timers and people who go hunting and probably, you know, lived in, you know, hunted and fished back in there before it was yeah. ever a, a park, they knew about some different places of unfamiliar terrain that the 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 professional searchers might not have seen before so these old timers start calling in things the people that the martin family were most receptive to were these psychics so there was this one dude named billy noland he was a psychic interpreter from new orleans and he showed up on june 2nd after speaking with the martins billy headed up the trail to rocky top uh, along the appalachian trail there's a point in time in the uh, National Park report on this where they kind of, I think it's in the appendix where they just kind of put down like some of the stories about people that have been called in. So in, in the description of Billy, they said that he showed up with uh, no money and no supplies, willing to help the family and blah, 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 blah. And then there was like, period. He showed up with no supplies and no money. <laughs> so this is a, this is kind of a, a summary of some of the things that were at their disposal. 
Okay. It's it's only mentioned. I did not see it in anything else except I think in the appendix of the National Park Report that a, a private citizen in Tennessee had donated or had basically left their 12-passenger uh, private jet what? on call 24 hours a day for anything that was needed for this search for this kid. And I think part of it was like it was it was it was it was close by and that if you know he was found there he was gonna be flown to a medical because that that was it like when when they made that plan like if he was found alive he was found dead I think he was gonna be flown straight to like University of Tennessee Hospital or something like that in Knoxville or something like that like he was so so I, I don't know but but it just said like this there was a private citizen had donated like or had their jet on call uh for any kind of the search efforts that were needed Jeez. So, so they also, you know, we had the tankers, the thousands of gallons of fuel. There were over 35 agencies and organizations involved at one point in time or another. 1,116 sorties, I guess, you know, just missions uh-huh. uh, or flights totaling 196.3 hours in the air. And Jeeps, which I, I think this was talking about the National Park Service Jeeps, delivered and returned around 2,000 searchers to the Spence Field Search and Rescue Base, base Camp. Jeez. So finally, on, uh, on June 29th, 5 p.m., uh, a meeting was held in Cades Cove Operations Center, and this had uh, Mr. and Mrs. Martin, mm-hmm. uh, FBI Agent Wright, District Ranger Morris, and Subdistrict Ranger Nielsen. The question that was discussed amongst all of them was, where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. So the FBI gave a report that there's no evidence to support kidnapping uh, or anything like that foul play. Okay. Uh, then the next thing that was uh, offered up was that the family asked, will there be a reward? And the FBI informed them that if there will be a reward, it will be coming from you and not the FBI. Because oh. at that point in time, they didn't have any reason to believe that he had, like, you know, disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Yeah. You know, aside from the fact that he disappeared under weird circumstances. <laughs> this weird as shit, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it's like, I feel like we need to go back and go, he was behind a tree. <laughs> and then, poof, gone. <laughs> and he wasn't. Um, so, yeah, so then, uh, so the chief ranger of the park, uh, or the chief ranger, said, assured the Martin family that they would keep uh, their three best trackers on the case, and they developed a 30, 60, and 90-day plan for how they were going to approach the search for Dennis Martin. Mr. Martin reiterated his statement that it couldn't have been more than five minutes before they started calling and searching. And then the fifth part of this meeting that was pointed out, and, and, and I'm basically reading these straight off of what the report said, um, is that Mr. Martin feels that some people do have the, the ability to see or predict things, and this was in response to the various predictions received by mail, phone, and word of mouth as to where the boy would be found. Yeah. So at the end of their meeting, uh, the Spence Field base camp was closed down at 6 p.m. that night. So the official search had ended for him, at least on the FBI's part and, and the and, and the and the federal government's, you know, or, or the the National Guard's. <clears throat> so. Uh, the official National Park report on the search efforts for Dennis Martin concludes with the following paragraph. As stated before, the FBI reported that it has no evidence to start any large investigation of any of this. The fact should be well noted that the family possibly does not want to accept the possibility that the boy will never be accounted for. End quote. Thanks. 
So yeah, so they're pretty much just like, yep. So yeah, so again, that's like that. That's 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 how the FBI kind of set it up. So it was like, nope. We done. So they had, yeah. So they had some theories, um, and some of these theories, I believe, were also part of the appendix of this thing. The Martin family had suspicions concerning several persons, especially during the latter stages of the research. I guess whenever they were trying to just search out for anything. Uh-huh. They named a contractor from Dandridge, Tennessee. Um, They felt that he could have had some part of it, you know, that he could have had their child kidnapped or something along those lines. Oh, this is it. There was a lady in Miami. That's what it was. A lady in Miami Uh um, that had sent in a prediction. She thought that there was a chance that someone was trying to go after Dr. Carter Martin's family. That other fa- that other Martin oh, family that okay. they met, yeah, yeah, at the at the other place, and then they hung out with them that night. Well, they were they were the other kids that you know were there when he disappeared. Yeah. So 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 she kind of so there was like a I don't know if it was a report I don't know if it was one of those predictions or if it was Mrs. Martin herself, but just kind of wondered like oh no this person who was hired or whatever was going to kidnap one of those kids kidnapped the wrong Martin kid, and oops. Um, that's a big yeah. oops. <laughs> So that was one of her theories. And then um, it just kind of a general, did Dr. Carter Martin do it in some way? Did he yeah. somehow do something? Um, and yeah, then it was like, could, could someone have mixed up the families since they had the same last name and the wrong child was kidnapped? So then five weeks after the disappearance, a clue came in. It was this guy, Harold Key from Carthage, Tennessee. He and his family were vis- visiting and on and this is the afternoon that martin dis, uh, that that the dentist disappeared uh-huh. they heard a quote enormous sickening scream and shortly thereafter witnessed an unkempt rough-looking man running up the trail near where the scream had come from this is another one of those things where you read uh five different articles and they all have a different story somehow about this uh-huh. because i kept reading about it and it kept sounding like that he he ran into the woods, further into the woods, away from wherever these people were. Because there's this one story about this guy's son basically realizing, like, dude, there's like there's a person right there. And they thought, like, oh, shit, it's a bear hiding behind this brush. Yeah. And then they were like, wait a minute. No, it's a human being. We're just, you know, you've had that moment when you're walking in a city somewhere. And you're like, nope, just keep walking past the crazy person. do, 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 do. do. <laughs> Right, and so that was what their situation was, but instead it was in the park. But then it was like out of nowhere, it was like the Mandela effect popped in, and all of a sudden there was this story about they watched the man run down a hill into and get into a white car and drive off. Well, he wasn't too unkempt if he's got a car. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that was the thing. It was like that they they said that like you know the, the 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 one of the stories I read was that he said, "Oh, this person was definitely trying to hide from us." And once they realized they were discovered, it was like they tried to like you know scare us and they ran off. Yeah. And then there is another story where this man heard this scream and then watched someone run into the woods with someone like thrown over their shoulder, like a smaller person thrown over their shoulder. Okay. So I think it's just one of those that like, you know, 50, 60 years later, it's still, it's still hard to, to get, to nail down like the real story about it. Yeah. 
So that was kind of weird. They went back and looked. They concluded there was insufficient evidence to link Martin, uh, excuse me, to link the sighting to Martin's disappearance. And what they were saying was that it was five miles away from where he had disappeared. Huh. But then it says the exact time of the sighting isn't known because like this dude didn't give a time just said it was when the afternoon or the evening when they were leaving. Then they also said that there was a lack of, of, of trails connecting the two sites. So then here's something that you and I probably know something a little bit about from oh, where boy. we live. <laughs> and it might be one of those things that might need a little explanation. Uh, and that is the fact that in 1985, a wild ginseng hunter told uh, authorities he saw what were believed to be skeletal remains of a child in uh, Tremont's Big Hollow, which is just, it, it's another section of, of, the, of the Tennessee side of the park. Uh-huh. He had actually seen the bones years earlier. And then this is another one of those places where I read two different accounts. He didn't come forward sooner because he believed he would be blamed for the child's death. But then I saw another report, and this is where the explanation thing might come in, is that he didn't, well, two things. One, he didn't want to be caught for hunting ginseng on park property. Yeah. I think the other part of that is once you found a good patch. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't want to give up that stash. That's exactly where my brain went to. (laughs) Exactly. And so, I mean, do, do could you explain a little bit about ginseng to, yeah, to, to yeah. maybe our listeners who probably aren't familiar? Oh, yeah, because it's definitely... I mean, we've all heard of it, but, yeah. you know... Yeah, and it's, like, a big thing down here where I live. It's it's huge, ginseng it is. And what it is is ginseng is... It's the root of a plant that you can only harvest in certain... Like, it's in the fall, right, if I'm remembering correctly? I think so, yeah. You harvest this root, and it has to be certain size to do so, and you sell it off to these different, like, places that will buy it in bulk from you, and it's used for, like, you know, like, more herbal remedies for ailments, mm-hmm. um, and it can go for, like, high-dollar prices and yeah. stuff, um, and there was even a show that was filmed in this area where I live um, called Appalachian Outlaws, um, if you've ever seen it. I think it was on the History Channel, and it was about gin singing in the mountains of Appalachia. Was it over-dramatized? Yes, absolutely. And I've went (laughs) to that with you before. Not to name names, but there was a certain dude that I went to high school with, and I was like, buddy, you were nothing like that, and you changed awful quick for that show. Anyways. I just looked it up, and in North Carolina, it says, no state permit is needed to dig ginseng on private property. Only the landowner's written permission. Uh, The season of September 1st to December 31st applies to private and public lands. Uh, So it's a pretty long season. Yeah, that is pretty long. I know that, like, it has to be a certain size, too, in order for you to dig it up. And, like, actually, like plant does. Otherwise, you're not, like, buyers won't take it and... I mean, you can get fine big time if you pull too small of a plant or too many from in a certain area. Yeah, there's a, the, the, one of the things uh, I think uh, right before you and I got on the phone, I told you I was putting in a, a source. Yeah. And it was actually this, uh, this article is from National Geographic. It's called Demand for Ginseng is Creating a Wild West in Appalachia. Oh, God. Or Appalachia. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I only had a chance to kind of skim that article, but I figured we'd be talking enough about it, and it'd be oh yeah, it'd be interesting enough for people to find out. So I just figured I'd put it in the sources. But um, 
So yeah, so I think I think that's kind of one of the things that, it, like like you said, it, it, my first thought was, no, this dude found a pretty good patch, and he wasn't yep. gonna let a few kid bones get in the way of him making <laughs> like, money. He said, "Fuck them kids." <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was just like, you know, I got you know, I, I got I got kids to feed. <laughs> I got my own. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, it's like you know, whatever. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like you know, like it, it, in this article, it talks about how how it's. It, it's such a huge trade from China. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. Created. That's another big thing. Yeah. It's a lot of it's shipped overseas to China. Like you think about it, an inch of soil is created every year by the leaf fall and just the deadfall of stuff in in the Great Smoky Mountains. Yeah. So they said that going back to that area where he found the the children's bones, like it didn't really turn up much of anything. So it was just kind of just like over the years, it had either just been stuff had been carried off by animals or yeah. whatever, yeah. Um, or just been kind of covered up. But, you know, maybe with, you know, new technology, they might be able to find something. But, um, so going back to the curveball I threw at the very beginning of all this, the wild man of Catalucci. Yes. So, um, so there's very, very, several stories about the wild man of Catalucci. Um, his last name was Phillips, and and he lived actually about seventy miles away from Spence Field, um, okay. where his family was from. Uh, that's seventy miles away via the Appalachian Trail. Gotcha. And uh, it was called the, the White Oak Community. Uh, don't look it up because the White Oak Community uh, is a different place in Tennessee now, uh, <laughs> up, up real far up in, or further up north in Tennessee. This is a direct quote, is that Phillips lived in the White Oak community under conditions seldom found in today's world. His primitive home had no running water or electricity and is unchanged except for the wear and tear for the time, uh, from the time it became the family home. The Phillips were actually one of those families that were forced to relocate whenever the Smokies, uh, whenever the park was formed. Uh-huh. He has no insulation inside the house and it basically just allows air to circulate back and forth yeah there's actually like a, a song written about the man oh really yeah yeah and uh, he passed away in 2010 so i mean it gives you an idea i mean that that encounter happened back in 73 or whatever yeah and uh but yeah he, he lived out there till 2010 there's a lot of really crazy stories um not really crazy but just kind of stories about how people like actually built him a place uh-huh. nearby and he wouldn't go inside of it and uh they said for the last 10 years of his life he just didn't even have a didn't even have a fire in his house oh wow and uh to keep warm yeah exactly like i said it's a little bit of a misdirect at the beginning but uh but yeah to, 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 to just decide hey i'm gonna pull a gun on on this uh <laughs> that, the reason i put it in there was well one of the other things that this whole story goes to is what you and i kind of laughed at about it was this has turned into a big thing on tiktok the story of dennis martin oh wait so that originates from him yeah oh my gosh so that's the thing like i haven't even gotten into yet is the conspiracy theory around all of this yeah was either that they chose this as a as a opportunity or they manufactured the story of this child's disappearance uh-huh. so that these 1400 volunteers, which were all national guard and the, and, and special forces and the boy to scouts come in, <laughs> yeah, and the boy scouts to come in and take out the feral people of the national park. Oh my God. 
And so that's where a lot of this came from was they said like, oh, well, they just sent them in to take out all the feral people that lived in the national park because, you know, well, the feral people snatched people in the middle of the night. Like, what is it that Georgia from My Favorite Murders always says? It goes all the way to the top. (laughs) (laughs) It does. And so, yeah, so there's like, so there's all these stories about this, this, like all these people that they took out through the, the, this whole thing. That That's why they brought the special forces in. Yeah. But when you find out like the special forces just were in Nantahala, just running special operations, just, you know, just training missions and were just kind of brought over. But like, but immediately people jump straight to, Oh, you know, the gut, the, you know, the, you know, the man's here. It's 1984. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so yeah, so there's this whole other world that I I didn't even go down. I, I read a little, I read one article, and it, it just talks about how everything just gets blown out of proportion, really more than anything else. But there, that's another thing that people are very interested in. They can go and look up TikTok, and people have developed all these theories. Listen, and, and I'm not one for a conspiracy theory. Like I think they're usually horse shit. However, I like this one. And I could definitely see it with all those damn National Guard and Boy Scouts and everybody else coming in. <laughs> I approve. Been... Approve stamp on this one. Yeah. You approve this one? Okay. <laughs> I, I, I just think, I think one of the things is, you know, because like w- there's an article that popped up that I, I I'll, I'll put it in the sources, but I, I didn't even read it. Yeah. I, it was one of those, like when it, when I first searched for it, it's like, you know, when you go to Google, you can pretty much read like the first paragraph or so. Yeah. And and it was the the title of it was like six reasons to never go in a national park. And this story was one of the reasons act, you know, but, but anyway, but like, like that was one of the things is like this 50 year old story. Yeah. This is why you should never go into the park. It's oh like, my God. What? Cause one little white but, kid uh, went missing. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Good gosh. But I do kind of leave that the story about the, the wild man in Catalucci out there, because I mean, people were able to live out there and oh, if God, you were yeah. a little bit, you know, and, 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 you know, obviously the wild man in Catalucci had some stuff going on. Uh-huh. And, but if you were resourceful and you, because that, that was one of the stories is like, he would actually go to like the campgrounds and he would root through the trash. Oh, wow. And he would go in there and like, and so they actually had to run him on. They actually had to, the, the people, people would take food to these campgrounds, knowing this guy would come out there and they would like put food out for him. Oh, good Lord. And it became like a thing. Yeah. And then they started having problems with animals. And yeah. so they had to stop it after a while. But you know, if, if you think about it, like if you were resourceful and you made a fire, and you know, kept your little cabin warm. I oh, mean, God, like yeah. you could live out in the woods for a while. And, and you and I, you know, as we've mentioned before, we we live in areas where, I mean, I've taken a wrong turn down a road before. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> and and been like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, and this is coming from someone who lives on a dirt road. Yeah. You know, and I've I've taken a wrong turn, and you just realize, nope, not here. Turning around, or you know, and and and, and I think we've probably both also talk to somebody who where when you talk to them, cause that's what they talk about. These feral people, they, they, they range from, because what they do is they, you know, and, and, and again, I'm, there's a big quotes around all this. What they do is they, you know, they, they, they take young children and girls away from their families. Yeah. 
and make them their slaves out in the woods. Yeah. And so there'll be some that can speak English and some that are, are so far regressed that they're animals. Yeah. And, you know, and so you can easily be tricked into, you know, they'll send one of the girls out to go talk to you and then they'll, the, the ones that are animals will snatch you. Yeah. You know, well, so there's like all these crazy stories like that. Yeah. And it, I was about to say, I mean, even nowadays still like, here where I live, not necessarily in the county I live in, but the one that's just north of us, it's one of the biggest counties in the state with, like, the lowest population. Like, it's huge. Mm -hmm. And that county is so big and it has such a tiny population that there's so many areas. And, like, the National Forest runs through that. Monongahela National Forest does. And there's a lot of, like, places up in that county that, I mean, ain't nobody seen probably ever, if that. On top of that, you have a lot of people that are more, not quite up to more modern times, I guess you would say. And so the stereotyping of that on top of how it's such a vast area, you know, leads to these kinds of stories. I mean, literally in my neighboring county and to a part, it's like, yeah, I could definitely see it. Like, especially up there because it's, I mean, it's one of the most beautiful places in this state, but it's also like. A lot of no man's land up there. And so it's like, okay, yep, I could definitely see like some backwood people living and nobody sees them like ever or something. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, that that's that's one thing about this area is that Fontana Lake, which is at the the, the far western end of the Smokies, uh -huh. that, you know, that's uh, obviously a, it is a man-made lake. And a lot of the people there that used to live inside the park before it became the park um were pushed out of that area yeah. because they flooded it you know for the tennessee valley authority yeah which that's a whole nother gosh that's the history of the tba and fontana yeah. dam and like good gosh that is such a there's a messed up one yeah. that we should cover at some point <laughs> yeah oh yeah absolutely so. and and there's there's so many there's so many people that came out of that yeah that are just like uh like horace kephart and uh there's a few there's a few other writers that came out of the area that just that just they're just mind-blowing things that took place in that in that like there was this one school down um around that area down near the little tennessee river where it comes into fontana uh -huh. there's a school down there that actually has moved twice um and uh, brick by brick, they've moved the school because one at one point in time it was going to be at the bottom of the of the lake, uh -huh. and they had to move it out, and they moved it to an area, and then it would move to another area. I mean, so it's just like there, there's so many things that that messed up that went on with with Fontana Lake, and then into the Smokies uh -huh. um, that make for a very 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 strong anti government population. Oh yeah. There's a lot of people in cities that don't trust the government. Yeah. But there's a lot of people out here that really don't. And, uh, you know, I think there's a one one glaring group that uh, doesn't trust the government. And then for reasons why, uh, that would be the Cherokee. Oh, yeah. Um, as well in this area. So there's a lot of people that, that really did, you know, in, in, in your opening when you talked about the, 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 the Trail of Tears, there's people that, that, that left. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I don't mean left. I mean, what I mean is, I, I mean, there's people that just went out into the woods and were like, I'm out of here. I'm, yeah. I'm out of this. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, is it, is it unrealistic to believe that there aren't people that are living out there? No. No. <laughs> but I, I think they're living a pretty low profile life, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one of those things. It's like you don't want to because, I mean, 
I don't know about you, but like one of my main goals of living in Appalachia is I try to, you know, fight the stereotypes against us because I live in West Virginia and what's the major stereotype for West Virginia is we're all backwards. We go around barefoot. Um, you know, it's the picture of poverty that was started back in the sixties when they were doing like the tours for the presidential elections and whatnot. And Kennedy did good for West Virginia. Don't get me wrong, but part of his tour of West Virginia really didn't help that stereotype whatsoever. And so we still are rebounding here. And it's something that's, it's a ripple effect that's felt through all of Appalachia. And this region itself is one of those regions that we were bled for our resources to build this country up. And we've never really reaped the benefits of it. And so one, you don't want to feed into those stereotypes, but then also you really understand why people are kind of anti-government because they're leery. You know, when somebody, a brand new politician comes in, they're like, we're going to fix this and we're going to fix that in Appalachia. It's like, well, okay, back your words up with, you know, actual feasible work and it never does. So that leeriness of the government. Yeah, absolutely. It still pertains to this day and I don't think it's ever going to go away personally. No. Uh Well, um, I just have uh, one last thing here I forgot about um, is that they're actually... (laughs) Feels weird. I have a I have a title called Positive Results. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, wait—is one of them the Boy Scouts earned a new badge? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was definitely there was definitely the Muddy Foot badge which yeah, was yeah. created. <laughs> the Little Child Feet Prince badge. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So, so some of the positive things that came out of this, um, really the positive thing that came out, were the elimination of that that theory that I talked about at the beginning of the surround and drown approach, the same idea as putting out a forest fire. Um, Obviously having 40 kids with similar shoe sizes running around in mud wasn't a good idea. People around the world are taught the Dennis Martin case, people that are in search and rescue because it's, it's such a classic case and it, it, it it pulls at your heart because it's just like, well, he was just right there. Yeah. He was just right there. That still just um, blows my mind that it was literally like he was hiding behind a tree and then poof, gone. Yeah. What they figured out is it's it's a it's better to approach a situation with smaller, well-trained searchers as opposed to as many volunteers at first. They'll, 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 they will eventually get to the volunteer stage, but if they can use the small group of searchers first in an area or the the well-trained ones, they'll try and do that first. But if they can't, then they'll go to more volunteers, but they won't get to the 1400 people letting them all go run rampant over every, everything. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's really is it. Like they, 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 they kind of use like the what not to do's from then they, they use it as a what not to do kind of situation. Yeah. And uh, it's changed the way that, uh, that the national park service and that, uh, people in general approach search and oh, rescue. Wow. That's, I mean, that's yeah. awesome. I will say yeah. this and I know I was like making light of it, but I did say, Oh God, a little white kid goes missing and we pull out the guards and everything. But, Right. To not to be a Debbie Downer, but that is a sad fact, though, of the reality of, especially back then. But I mean, even still to this day, it's like you get a white person gone, we got to pull out everybody. You get a person of color gone, and it's like, uh, we'll find them eventually. Well, and it's just like, yeah. Oh, God. Anyways, sorry. Didn't mean to be Debbie Downer. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. 
Uh, there was this one quote for uh, from oh from Clay Jordan, who was the uh, great Smoky Mountain. He he is the great Smoky Mountain uh, deputy superintendent now. Okay. So you turn to the end of the book to find out what happened to Dennis Martin, and the pages are blank. It is the ultimate mystery. I still think it resonates with people because you had an innocent boy who was with his family and closely supervised. It suddenly goes from everyone having fun to a parent's worst nightmare. Dang. Yeah, I think that's pretty. That's a pretty good way to wrap it up. That it's is. Like, you know, it's like yeah, that's that's yeah. true. It's like it, it's just like that is the reason why it is the scariest story. Oh God, yeah. You know, it's like whoa. Well, not the scariest story, but it's but a, it's a like, pretty scary one to start off with. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's unnerving. <laughs> yes, so. unnerving. unnerving well bravo Um, sir bravo well thank you thank you i'll tell you uh one of of, uh, through my research i came across a website you want to talk about something that's scary i came across a website that's called everything hyphen birthday.com and uh so you can like look up a date and that's where i found some of the stuff you know like the 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 music and that kind of stuff but here's the scary thing if you put in your birth date Uh it will tell you how many years you've been asleep been asleep yeah like like if you're if you're x amount of years old this means if you if you average eight eight hours a night let me just put it this way. I was over 10 years of my life has been like, asleep. So it's called everythingbirthday.com? <laughs> Everything uh, hyphen or dash birthday.com. Okay, I'm looking at that. It specializes in if you were born on this date, you've been you've slept for, you've been alive for this many hours, minutes, days. I'm looking this up. Yeah, it's, it's just scary whenever you find out how many, day, how many days you've been asleep or how many years you've been asleep. So, it says, I'm... Uh, if you were born on this date, you've slept for 4,652 days or 13 years. I yeah. I refuse to believe that because I can't sleep worth a shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like, oh, fuck. Hold on. Because, yeah, I was just going to – because it'll tell you, like, what song was number one yeah. on this date or whatever. You've been alive for 334,920 hours. Well, okay, sure. And I'm twenty million ninety five thousand two hundred minutes old. Good God! Yeah, I, I think yeah. Like it's, it's, just, it's just a de- <laughs> everything is just depressing. Oh, there. It's like, oh, 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 great, great, oh, great. Yeah, something else. <laughs> oh, but um, I, I wanted to talk. I wanted to mention two things okay. that you and I talked about before. Um, one, the the name of the podcast in the pines. Oh yeah. Um, I want you, you know, to tell pines, how long you've had this in your brain, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I, uh, well, I, maybe we'll, I had to go back and see whenever I got the Twitter account. I think it was like 2016. I think 15? that's what it said. Yeah. Yeah. It was either 2015 or 16 is when I got the Twitter account. So, yeah. So, uh, so I've had this idea for a while, but, um, in the pines was a song that I once heard, uh, sung around a campfire. And uh, I recognized part of it and I realized, oh, because if people at this point in time, you've heard parts of the songs uh, as the interstitial music. Um, and it, it, if, you, if it reminds you of the uh, Where Did You Sleep Last Night by Nirvana uh-huh. on the Unplugged, that's, a, that's another version of the song. And so it, uh, so in my research of it years ago and also looking at it this time, I think there's, there's a woman who did a, a, her 
doctoral thesis on In the Pines. Really? And it's a song that's, yeah. And it has over, at that point in time, and I want to say that was in the teens or the early 2000s, 2010s, uh-huh. she uh, there had found 160 individual recordings of it. Wow. And uh, one of the most famous ones is by Lead Belly. Uh-huh. And uh, and it has several names. Uh, it has uh, it's called uh, In the Pines, Little Girl, uh, The Longest Train, and then there are two that are uh, uh, they are Creole, and uh, they they have a, uh, a derogatory name for a black woman yeah. in them. But anyway, so there's it's 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 a very interesting song. But I guess I'm guessing, and I'll leave it up. I'll I'll leave this up to the listener. <laughs> but I believe it means it's uh it's public domain. <laughs> it's yeah. so old. Uh, I believe it's public domain. So if uh if people want to put together their own version of In the Pines, yes. uh, you could just find a million different versions of it online. But uh, we'd love to play your version on our show. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so yeah, so just however you want to. Do it. Uh, just send it to um, send it to our our, our Twitter account. Yeah. Um, uh, just link it somehow to us at In the Pines Pod. We are at, at In the Pines Pod. On Twitter. And um, so yeah, so that that'd be a good thing. And uh, what was the other thing I was going to mention? Damn it, we talked about. Oh, I'm trying else. to remember oh. what you were talking about when at the beginning when before we started recording. You're like, I'm going to hold this one thing until later on. When we were talking about something. Oh, it might have been the ginseng thing. Oh, okay, cool, cool. It might have just been the ginseng thing. Sweet. But no, I just remembered what we were also talking about. And, you know, we, we have, you know, obviously we have big plans. Um, and so we were saying that if if we get to a point where people do enjoy this show, and because um, right now we're thinking, what, once a month? Yeah, that's that's the go-to right now. <laughs> so, we're, so we're thinking once a month right now. And if people really like it, then we're not opposed to putting together a Patreon yeah. and putting together some other stuff. And we said that if we did do a Patreon, <laughs> that we <laughs> we would watch uh, uh, Wrong Turn. And you can hear me the whole time just bitch and complain about every aspect of that movie because it takes place here in the freaking county that I live in is where it's supposed to be. Like, <laughs> well, what was funny was I had no clue about that. <sighs> and I, I was in, in doing research for this uh-huh. um, or just kind of doing research and like mysterious, whatever. Somehow that movie came up <laughs> and I was like, huh? And I had never heard of it. And of course, like I, I immediately this, I'm not a horror movie fan. And so horror. I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and so I was just like, "Oh God, you know what is this?" Oh. And uh, and and so I just saw a, a review of it, and I was like, "Huh." And it just so happened, uh, I, I am an old man. I do have Directv, and it was a free HBO weekend or something like that. Yeah. And I and I and I just was sitting there, and I was doing the research about the about the show, and then I was like, "Let me just." you know, search. And I searched and sure enough, the movie was coming on like 45 minutes later. Uh-huh. And I was like, you've got to be shitting me. It was yeah, coming and on didn't you Showtime message me or something. And you like were that. like, listen, I'm recording wrong turn and I'm going to 
like watch it blah blah and i was like oh god please don't think bad of like my area <laughs> yeah yeah it. exactly I, I was like uh, and i was like oh i didn't know anything about that i was just thinking like it'd be funny and that was my thought was uh, like if if i if i have to watch it i'll i'll watch it for patreon <laughs> yeah I will so, do, I, I, so I'm, I, I will do that for I the kept myself from supporters it. too yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I I kept myself from it. I didn't listen to it and, or didn't watch it, and so I was just like, you know what? I'm just gonna hang back, and uh, maybe if maybe if people <laughs> want to listen to it, then then we'll do a watch along. Oh God! But uh, but yeah, um, what what our plan is is you know we kind of we kind of did do one of these with Appalachian themed. Yeah. Um, in the beginning. Not really on purpose, but it was kind of like, well, hey, this is what our crowds listened to before, yeah. and it was also just a crazy ass story. And so we were like, yeah, let's just do this one. And so uh, if you know, we we have some ideas about ones we're going to do in the future, and we're going to trade off. I won't be the person talking every time for people who are worried about that. I won't be the one talking all the time. Listen, they don't, might not want to suffer through this accent of mine. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, they're just going to have to suffer through okay. it. So yeah, so we just figured one story per show. Yeah. Um, we'll just kind of just kind of just see how it goes and trade off back and forth. And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. I'm yeah. sure other things will come up as Another we, thing uh, real quick too. So like we were saying at the beginning um, of the episode, we're going to be covering across the U.S. like all kinds mm-hmm. of mysterious things. So don't think this is only going to be like true crime related and all that. Like we're talking right. like true crime, mysteries, lore, all that good stuff from all over the U.S. So if you, we have our mm-hmm. own little like list of topics we're wanting to cover. But if you've got some good ones, message that to us too on the Twitter account uh, and let us know yeah. if you've got some good ones that you would like to see us maybe cover in future episodes. Yeah, any other kind of crazy disappearance or just wacky, crazy story. Um, yes, we know what Skinwalker Ranch is. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we had a whole ass conversation about that, you and I. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, so we, we, we don't, we, we, yeah, but anyway, just send, send us whatever you can think of um, that, that you might want to hear us look into or that might make us might blow our minds like a Dennis Martin or uh, something like that. Well, um, I guess aside from that, I guess that's about it for this time. Do you want to give your Twitter handle, by the way? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, Okay. If you want to follow me, uh, I'm at PoxHoliday, P-O-X-H-O-L-I-D-A-Y. That's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm at PoxHoliday. And if you want to find me, um, you can find me on Twitter at 
Hey, that Nikki, N-I-K-K-I. Um, and that's all I'm giving right now is Twitter. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so. But yeah. Um, but, let us know what you think. Uh, congratulations on our first episode. And like I said woo! before our conversation, <laughs> it's rare that the first one ever sounds like any of the other ones after that. So uh, we'll see what goes on after this. But uh, <laughs> And remember, y'all, some people walk into the woods to make memories. And some people walk into the woods to be forgotten. See you next month. Bye. <laughs> for a complete list of all of our sources, please visit the show notes for this episode.